This morning's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God. Thanks, Bronwyn. And can I uh, extend the welcome that Hugo gave before to everyone here today uh, in the room and also those who are joining us online, wherever you may be. Um, It's exciting to be here. I've had a big weekend. not only because of the football gather round, which um, interests some people here, but um, I had the privilege of being involved in the wedding yesterday. And weddings are always pretty exciting. I mean, who, who doesn't love a good wedding? Hands up, who loves a good wedding? I mean, really, weddings are fantastic. My daughter got married yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, six months ago, she asked me if I'd perform the ceremony. And I did. So I did the uh, dual role of being the father of the bride and the uh, celebrant. I managed to get through until the speeches right at the end of the evening. An emotion overtook me. But prior to that, I was all right. So um, it's been a great day, great weekend. And uh, so I'm really, um, and my wife, Joy, couldn't be here today because it was a big day. So she's recovering. But um, I want to just say that community is so important. So last night, a community of people gathered up at uh, Ross Trevor, where my daughter's wedding was. But we have a community here, and one of the ways that a community builds each other up is by, dare I say, a thing called small groups. And uh, my good friend Jonathan Davies, if he was standing here, would say, I've ever told you how important small groups are. And I would echo that. And so we are looking to build up small groups here. And uh, Bronwyn, who just read the scriptures to you, is coordinating our role of small groups. And so if you'd like to join a small group, see Bronwyn or go online and click a button there which talks about joining a small group because uh, we think they're really important. And at the conclusion of my message today, I'm going to have some questions up on the screen which for those who are watching or those in the room um, maybe something you could go through in a small group. Questions in relation to what we're going to share today. Um, but before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable in your sight, that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us and lead us into truth and understanding. I ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're beginning a new series on the Lord's Prayer, which was read to us today. And uh, I think like with prayer... I don't think anyone here can claim to be an expert. In fact, the disciples at one point said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus responded, 
by the scriptures that were read to us today. And so we're going to unpack the Lord's Prayer over the next coming weeks. And today we're going to pick up um, the first line of the Lord's Prayer. The first line, our Father in heaven. And you may have picked up, if you're an astute observer of songs, that the songs today have a bit of a theme about God being our Heavenly Father. And that's what we're going to share about. One of my um, writers who I love to read is a man um, called James Packer, J.I. Packer. And he came up with a definition of a Christian. So if I was to do a bit of a survey today and ask, how would you define what is a Christian? I'm sure I'd get quite a variety of responses. And I'm not saying any of those responses are good or better than others, but Packer has a particular definition of what is a Christian. He says, the, Christ, the question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know, says James Packer, is that a Christian is one who has God for their father. Now, I don't know whether you've ever thought about that definition before, because often we talk about a Christian as one who puts their faith in Christ, a person who has repented, a person who's trusting in Jesus, and they're all right and proper things. But there's something deep and rich about this definition of a Christian, that a Christian is someone who has God for their father. In the Old Testament, we don't necessarily read a real lot about God being our father, but in the book of Exodus chapter 4, and verse 22, we read this, which I think we'll be reading shortly. This is the context is that God is instructing Moses about how to deliver the people out of Egypt from the hands of the Pharaoh. And, uh, the, and then what the Lord gives an instruction to Moses. He says, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. So God is saying that I want, I want you to say to Pharaoh that Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel are my firstborn son. So God is showing that he is the father of the nation of Israel. But generally when you read the Old Testament, you don't get a, a, a very significant picture of God being a father. But when we come to the New Testament, there's a whole new revelation which God breaks in upon us. The New Testament, the Old Testament tends to talk a lot about God's holiness, which next week we're going to talk about, the second line of the Lord's Prayer. But if we come to the book of John, chapter 1, and we have this wonderful description that, uh, that the writer says this, Yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So folks, can I say that what the scripture is saying here is that we can know God as our Heavenly Father, not just simply by being born, but rather by being born again. So you don't naturally just suddenly appear to be a child of God. See, some people have this idea that if God is the Father of all, then therefore, by definition, everyone must be a child of God. But that's actually not what the Bible says. God is the Father of all, but we are not naturally children of God. We need to be born again. We need to enter into God's family. You enter, so you become a child of God by being born again. And Jesus makes it possible for us to be born again 
Jesus makes it possible for us to become a child of God by doing something incredible for us, which we celebrated last Easter. So we become a child of God or a, or a son and daughter of God through God doing something tremendous. You see, what's happened is that sin caused a family breakup. So the original family created right back in the book of Genesis. There was a major dislocation in the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. So there was a family breakup and we've, and we've lost the connection. And so something has to be done to bring us back into God's family. Something dramatic has to occur to heal the family breakup and to cause us to be restored back to God as a heavenly father. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to restore the family breakdown, if you like. He came to restore the dislocation of the relationship. Now, those who have been watching online and heard me speak before know that I have a bit of a soft spot for the book of Ephesians. It would only be fitting and proper that we have a quick look at one verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. It's very relevant to what we're saying today. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, we read this. In love, he predestined us, or he planned for us, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. God planned before even the creation of the world that he, we would become children of God. But we, as I said, we don't automatically come into this world as a child of God. God has to do something dramatic to cause us to become part of his family. And he does that through what the Bible calls adoption. So we're adopted into God's family. That's how you enter into God's family, through adoption. And adoption is something that um, is dear to my heart because uh, my two children are adopted. They were born overseas in South Korea. And when they were little babies, we adopted them. And it's very interesting that when you look at um, the Scriptures, there's no, in the Old Testament, there is no word for adoption. Adoption was a foreign concept. The only time you ever, for those people who are sort of listening intently to what this bloke's saying today, there is one example where a little baby was put in some bulrushes to escape persecution by the Egyptians. And Pharaoh's daughter found this baby and adopted her into the family. That baby was called Moses. Thank you. I'm just checking that there's, we were here today. So that's, but that's really the only example. It wasn't, it wasn't a usual Hebrew idea. It was a Roman custom. So adoption was a Roman custom. So let me illustrate it. Just simply for the purposes of illustration today, I'm going to pick this man sitting in front here who happened to be a worship leader today. Let's say, in, under Roman law, I decide to adopt Callum into my family, just for the purposes of illustration. So, so bear with me. The first thing I would do is I would give Callum a new name. Look, there's nothing, and look, that's why I say it's for illustrations, because if Callum's parents are watching this later on or watching it now, nothing against the name. But I'm going to give him a new name because he's coming into my family. Nothing wrong with his previous family, but he's coming into my family, and I'm going to give him a new name. Richard. I just came up with that one and just, um, I don't know if it sounds like it's an improvement really, but if it, we'll give it, give it a shot. So Richard becomes part of my family. And he doesn't come into my family as a second raider. It's not as if I've got my children and then there's this added extra. 
who we, we who sleeps in the sleep out out the back and occasionally gets some meals. You know, no, no, no. He comes into my family as a fully fledged member of the Elford family, Richard. And once again, for the purposes of illustration, whatever debts Richard has, whatever financial challenges he has, I'm going to pay all those debts. Illustration only. So that he comes into my, under Roman law, he would come in with a new name, a new status, and all his debts paid. That's what the Roman custom was for adoption. And you can see, folks, that it's it's pretty interesting because that's why Paul taps into it. Because God planned before the foundation of the world that we would be adopted into his family. How? Through Jesus Christ. And we get a new name. So if anyone is in Christ, they're a new person, a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We have a whole new status. We're a child of God. He forgives us all our sin, all our debts, all our baggage, all our history, all our past is all done away with. We're a brand new person in Jesus. And so when you come into the family of God, you're a brand new person. And that's why I've said before where Simon became Peter, Saul became Paul. God gives us a brand new start, a brand new life. And so we're adopted into God's family. We're not automatically born into God's family. We need to be adopted and it's a gift, and it's a gift that comes through Christ where he adopts us into his family. How good sad. How good sad. We're children of God. We're children of God. So it's, a, it's an incredible thing. And, and the interesting thing is that what role did Richard play in all this? What, what was his role? Well, he had to agree to be adopted, but that's all he really did. I was the one, I'm not trying to, but yeah, hypothetically, I was the one who decided to reach out to Richard, give him a new name, a new status, and a new family. So God's adoption is a work of God's grace. God takes the initiative. We have to agree to it. We have to agree to, to um, and respond to the, the gift. But it's God who reaches out to us and adopts us into his family through Jesus Christ. That's what adoption is. It's a work of the parents reaching out to the child. So adoption is a work of grace. That's how good it is. So let's have a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It's a lovely scripture that, that, um, that uh, the writer says here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has, and I love this, lavished on us. Lavished. I love that word. I like the way you say it too. Lavished. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know him well, the reason the world does not know us is it does not know him. But this is how you see God's love demonstrated. He's lavished his love upon us that we should be called children of God. So, folks, if you're wondering what your identity is, if you're putting a trust in Christ, you're a child of God. You may not feel like a child of God. When you woke up this morning, you may not have been jumping up saying, I'm a child of God. I've got to confess, when I woke up this morning, I wasn't jumping up because I had a big, big day yesterday. But, but I know... I'm a child of God. It's a gift. And the Father has lavished his love upon us. So to know God as Father is something incredible. It's something deeply personal. And it's something transformative. And it really impacts upon prayer. And that's why when Jesus, when Jesus um, taught the disciples to pray, he started off by saying, Our Father, pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven. 
And the phrase that Jesus used is an Aramaic phrase. It's an Aramaic phrase, which is a deeply personal word that almost could be translated as like a child would talk to their father and say, Daddy or Dear Father. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus always prayed, except for when he was on the cross, he always prayed, Our Father in heaven. He had that relationship with God. And folks, I want to say that when you know what it means to be a child of God, it has a huge impact upon your prayer life. Because you're not praying to some impersonal being out there. You're not trying to twist God's arm. But you're praying to God who is your loving Heavenly Father, who has reached out to you in Jesus Christ. It it has a huge impact upon how we live our life. Let me just tease out quickly um, a couple of implications for prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We're not surprising God when we pray. Our Heavenly Father knows all about us. The Bible says He even knows the number of hairs upon our heads. Now that's, in some cases today, more challenging than others. I just put that out there. But he even knows the number of hairs upon our head. He knows our name. He knows who we are. And so we don't have to sort of, it's not a surprise when we bring up needs before God because he already knows. Because he's our loving father. To illustrate that, come with me to Matthew 7 verses 9 and 11. And uh, Jesus said this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? See, parents, and there are many parents here today, we mark up at times. We have been known to pull a few clangers. When some of us aren't the perfect parents. I'm looking at myself here. But if our child asks for a snake, asks for a stone, or asks for a loaf of bread or something, we're not going to give him a snake or a stone. We want to give good things to our kids. How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, sometimes we get the idea that life is going on okay at the moment, but just around the corner, something bad's going to happen. Something bad's going to occur because we think, oh, it can't be that good. There's got to be something wrong about to occur. Why do we think like that? Well, because we have this distorted view about the nature of God. God is a loving Father and he wants to give us good gifts. That's who he is. He loves us so much. And so when it comes to prayer, we can, we can give our needs to God. We can pray to him because he cares for us and he reaches out to us. You know, Jesus came to show us that God is our Heavenly Father. You know, last weekend at Easter, excess, and I know Callum was involved in this, and maybe a few others, had a big Easter camp up at Mount Barker. Many people, many young people became Christians. It was a fantastic time. I've heard from Matt Peters. But I think the verses I understand it, the key, one of the key verses that you had was, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's a well-known verse, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the context is that, that people have been asking Jesus about what does it mean to be, um, no God is Father. And Jesus said, well, I am the way, 
to the Father. That's what it means. I am the way, Jesus, I'm the way to the Father. I am the life of the Father. I am the truth about the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus said, Philip, if he has seen me, has seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. The loving Father who lavishes his love upon us and wants to call us children of God. Sometimes we have some difficulties with this message and I've preached about God being our Father in lots of different places. I preached it, and I won't know the name, name the place, but I preached this message, a similar message to this, at a particular church some years ago. And as soon as I said that definition of a Christian being someone who knows God as their father, a woman got up, took her two kids, and just walked out of the church. I'd only been going for 20 seconds in the message, and she left. Because clearly something had happened in her life, and maybe she'd had a bad relationship or didn't ever know her father, because our earthly fathers can let us down. Sometimes they can be absent or even abusive. And because of that, we can sometimes try and see our, the fatherhood of God through the lens of our earthly fathers and we get, get a distorted image. But folks, can I tell you that God's bigger than all that and Jesus came to show us the Father who loves us so much. And I've seen people who have had terrible relationships with their fathers, who've had a revelation of the love of God and have been transformed and God has shown them to be a loving father. He wraps his arms around them. When I first started going out with my wife, Joy, um, she I could tell when she prayed that she had this really close relationship to God as her father. And I could sense myself that I didn't quite have that. And I, I couldn't quite work out why. And so I, I prayed that God would show me, that God would give me a revelation, that God would open up the eyes of my heart, that I would understand what it means for God to be my loving Heavenly Father. And uh, and I, some of you have heard me tell the story before, but it's a good one, so I'll tell it again. Um, I got this. I was praying, and I got this flashback, and I found that God speaks to me often by giving me memories of things that have happened in the past. And when I was about um, six years old, my family went for a holiday, a little bit of a picnic day, down to Port Elliot, and uh, we parked our car at Port Elliot next to um, the Bowling Green. And uh, in those days, the Bowling Green's not quite as sophisticated as it is now, and it just had this thin wire fence with a couple of steel droppers, and there was a big drop down to the Bowling Green. And we walked out onto um, the breakwater at Port Elliot. And it was my, I remember it was my mum and dad and myself. And uh, we got right out to the end of the breakwater, and they had this loudspeaker system at the kiosk and I heard this voice saying with the driver of car number and I listed out the number plate please report immediately to the kiosk and even though I was only six years old I knew that it was our car and uh, so we we looked back and we could see from where we were at the end of the breakwater that clearly someone had got into the car probably my dad hadn't locked it because back then not everyone always locked their cars it was a white station wagon old and um that's important and um the car had rolled forward and was precariously perched on the edge of the bowling green just held by this thin wire now i don't know if anyone's a bowler here today but the idea of a car falling onto a bowling green yeah that's pretty close to the unforgivable sin that's pretty close to the end of civilization as we know it and uh this car was perched precariously by the single wire about to flip over onto the bowling green and I'm six years old, 
And I look back and my mother reacted. Not well. And uh, my dad's name is Ray. And my mum said, Ray, the car, the car. And so when you're six years old, you get a, you can tend to absorb the emotions of your parents a bit. And so I'm feeling incredibly stressed because my mum's all upset and, uh, and the car's about to flip over. And I remember distinctly, and this is what the Lord reminded me of, I put my hand up and my dad seemed to have this massive hand. And he grabbed hold of my hand. And as soon as he did, I thought, oh, it's all okay. Because my dad's here. And my dad's going to look after me. And the Lord reminded me of that. Because when we tentatively put up our hand, our Heavenly Father grabs us. He grabs us. And he doesn't just grab us once. He, do, he, doesn't, he never lets us go. He never lets us go. And we can be confused sometimes. We don't always understand it. And we're sometimes we squirm and we, we try and pull a hand away, like just like parents do when they're holding a toddler. But the Lord reminded me that night of his love for me. And it transformed, transformed me. It transformed my relationship with God. I realized I didn't have to prove myself to God, that he just accepted me, that he loves me, that he holds on to me, that his grace has reached out to me. And so prayer is a conversation with my loving Heavenly Father. And we need all of us, I believe, to have a revelation of the love of God as our Father. And can I just say again, if you've had a bad relationship with your earthly father, I've met a bloke once who never knew his earthly father. His, his father had left his mum just after his mum became pregnant. He grew up never knowing his dad. And yet God gave him a revelation one, one night as he was praying and he knew that he could have a relationship with his father, his heavenly father. So, folks, that's why Jesus started off this prayer, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that um, today all of us, all of us, however, whatever age we are, whatever experiences we've had, whatever the depth of our Christian faith is, or maybe we don't even know you at all, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might speak afresh into our hearts that we might know you as our Father in heaven who has lavished his love upon us who is not distant who is not remote but he's here right now touch our hearts I pray in Jesus name Amen